Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship Home Service. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. Okay, amen. Praise the Lord. Good morning to everyone. And uh, it's good to be amongst brethren as we come together this morning in the current circumstances. And it is Father's Day. And so I, it is a good thing to acknowledge the fact that it is Father's Day. But interestingly, today, I'm going to be speaking about a mother. <laughs> so on Father's Day, we're going to be speaking about a particular mother that being the mother of Jesus and Mary in particular. Obviously, um, for those that may not be aware, I've been doing a series in which I started a number of weeks ago on the seven sayings of the cross. And so when Jesus was crucified, uh, as he hung there upon the cross, there were seven particular sayings that came forth and proceeded from his mouth. And so we've looked at a couple of those already and uh, a cry of forgiveness when he uh, said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So we looked at that aspect. And then we looked last time when we came together, we considered where uh, Jesus uh, said to the criminal that was uh, crucified alongside of him, today you will be with me in paradise. So it was a saying of assurance and the assurance that we have of uh, spending eternity with Christ. And so when we die to depart from this body is to be present with the Lord. And so we're, we're going through these seven sayings. And so today we want to look at the third saying of the cross. And it's not like it's in any particular order as such, but we are focusing on this particular word this morning that relates to the mother of Jesus, obviously in the physical sense. And so the word can be defined that comes forth from Jesus's mouth as a word of passion or a word of affection because it incorporates both really as Jesus is very mindful of Mary, his earthly mother, who is uh, standing at the foot of the cross. Uh, here he is uh, um, at the time of the crucifixion. And so he remembers her specifically and uh, he speaks so how could he not i mean he she was his mother in the in the physical sense she gave birth to him and so there's an aspect there that we have to consider uh as we consider this particular word this morning but what comes forth from jesus's mouth this morning is more reflective of not of the fact that she's his mother in the physical sense but rather we get an insight again into the heart of god and in this instance, the father heart of God, because what we're seeing here is God's concern for Mary. In light of the circumstances as they are, the father heart of God is moved with compassion for her and, uh, and with a strong affection. And so that leads to Jesus in the midst of the crucifixion speaking directly 
in relation to her, as we will see in a moment. But what we see is an expression of God's love, the father heart of God, of God's compassion and his affection for his own. Now, as we proceed upon this this morning, I think it's important to note that Mary is widely misunderstood in the scriptures. Um, we have, uh, for the most part, Roman Catholicism, which has totally, totally misunderstood, misrepresented Mary uh, in, their, in their false teachings and their false doctrine that relates to Mariology, if you want to call it that, because truly that's what it is. And so um, uh, uh, if most, if not nearly all of everything that comes forth from Roman Catholicism in relation to Mary and, and its idolatry and its worship of her is not found in the scriptures. It's men's man-made tradition, man-made teachings that are not found in the scriptures because Mary is not per se the mother of God, though she's the mother of Jesus in the physical sense. Um, uh, Mary is not an intercessor as is taught. So she's not to be prayed to. Mary is not a co-redeemer, as is taught by Catholicism. Mary is not a co-mediator, as is taught by Roman Catholicism. Uh, these are all titles that belong exclusively and only to Jesus Christ himself. And so Mary is, uh, is venerated in a, in a manner that is not represented whatsoever in the scriptures. And so that's important to make note of that as we consider Mary this morning. But you see, Mary is, uh, uh, as uh, Catholics would say, she's, uh, she's without sin, they would claim. But that's not true either. Mary is a sinner that needed to be saved just like us. They'll say, oh, Mary was a perpetual virgin, but she wasn't. After she had Jesus, um, she, uh, she knew her husband, Joseph, and, and she had children. Jesus had brothers. We know that from the scripture. So again, I point all these things out just to make that distinction. But in saying that, let it be known that Mary was a blessed woman, absolutely blessed to be called of God. And so uh, to bring forth the savior of the world. And so I want to consider the words of Jesus on the cross. And I want to consider also uh, Mary's life a little bit deeper in the scripture so that we can draw the context of what is going on right here at the cross when Jesus speaks these words. And so I want to read from John's gospel, chapter 19, and we're going to read from verse number 25. So if you can turn there and read with me and we'll see the words of Jesus. The Bible says, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Now, again, you have to take note here of what is going on and what is being said. Because the scripture clearly refers to Mary here, and it says Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
And so that is something that is uh, being uh, identified when Jesus saw his mother. But notice when Jesus speaks to Mary, he calls her woman. Now, this is significant, and this is not an, an, a matter of disrespect and him trying to disrespect his mother by calling him her a woman. But if you read the Gospels, you'll begin to see that there's not one account uh, uh, in his ministry where we begin to see that he refers to uh, Mary as mother, but rather on each occasion, he refers to her as woman. And so this is, uh, this is significant. It's not a coincidence that the Bible is doing this and Jesus has done this. And it's important to understand what's going on and why. It's not to take away from the fact that she's his earthly, earthly mother, but really what is being identified is that there's a greater issue that is at hand than that which relates to the natural. We understand Jesus is the son of God. And Mary gave birth that supernaturally conceived in her womb, a child by the Holy Spirit who was to be born. And this is Jesus Christ, the incarnation, God, the son. And so this is significant. And so we have to consider not Mary, the mother of Jesus in the physical sense, but when it comes to Christ, we have to observe God's plan. We have to be connected to God's purpose. We have to see things from a heavenly perspective. And so it's in light of that, that we uh, can emphasize the fact that Jesus is calling her woman. Again, we'll see this as we go along in just a moment. Now, as I said, Mary was a blessed woman. There's no doubt about it. She brought forth the seed. This is, this is the seed that was prophesied uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, of the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. And so she fulfilled a, uh, in the plan and purposes of God, such a specific and unique role. And so she was blessed. She was privileged to be able to bring forth the Messiah. And so what we see here as well, when we consider her at the cross of Jesus, we're also seeing that what came with that great privilege, what the fact that she gave birth to them associated with that privilege was the fact that she had great human sorrow that she had to process and that she had to deal with. And this is important in the context of what's going on here in the scriptures. There's a heavenly and there's a divine purpose that's playing itself out through Christ's life. But we cannot ignore the fact that, G, uh, that on, an, on a natural earthly level, Mary is his mother. And Jesus is mindful of that. And in, on the cross, his words and his direct speaking to her signifies that he's very mindful of this reality. But what I want to look at is I want to go with you through the scriptures. I want to identify a couple of things that might give the context to these uh, words that we find on the cross through Christ. So turn with me to Luke's gospel, chapter two. Now, what we have here. In, in Luke's gospel, chapter two, verse 25, is this is where Jesus has been born and uh, he is, uh, um, uh, there's a, he's going to be taken uh, to the temple. And in doing so, there's going to be a particular man named Simeon who's going to see the son of God. 
And so he, it is interesting, one, because he's been waiting for the Messiah. He's been promised of God that he will witness and see the Messiah, as we'll see. And two, he speaks prophetically concerning the ministry of Jesus Christ. And let's listen carefully to what Simeon says. So let's read from verse 25 in Luke's gospel. The Bible says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death um, before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And Joseph said to his mother, uh, and Joseph, uh, sorry, and Joseph and his mother, sorry, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him of Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, the child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, just take note here of what's going on and the context of this, because it says in verse 33, when they heard what Simeon <coughs> said about this baby, baby Jesus, the scripture says in verse 33 that they marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And so uh, it is clear and through other scriptures as well, that uh, both Joseph, who's present at this point in time, and Mary, they do not fully grasp, nor do they fully understand the plan and the purpose of God. They have a general concept, obviously, uh, in relation to uh, the birth of Christ and his ministry and his purpose, but they don't understand the finer details of God's plan and purpose at this point. So they are marveling at the words that are being spoken by Simeon. But what is also interesting is in verse 35, Simeon speaks, previous to that, he talks about that, um, um, that the, the, he will be, the child was destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. But then he turns to Mary and he says to Mary, a sword will pierce your own heart also. And so this is a direct word to Mary herself. And so she's uh, obviously uh, having to receive this as it's being spoken to her. A sword will pierce your own heart. It was a word that no doubt stuck in her mind and in her heart. But from the moment it was spoken to her as the as the ministry of Jesus Christ progressed right up into the crucifixion, she understood this word that resonated and was reminded in her heart that a sword will pierce your own heart also. She was not exempt from the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so you have to understand that uh, Simeon is saying that the, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ is not only going to touch Israel, but it's going to touch you. And a sword will pierce your own heart. 
Now, in light of that, this captures many instances throughout the ministry and life of Mary, many instances which ultimately culminates at the cross where that sword is piercing her heart. It wasn't just a once-off thing. This ultimately culminates ultimately at the cross where we have read where she's observing her, own, uh, her, her son in the, in the physical sense suffering and, and she's there and her sword is piercing her own heart as she's suffering at what she's observing. But there were many instances throughout her life where that sword pierced her heart in such a way. And so uh, this is something that has to be considered because at the end of the day, she is his mother. Uh, she was the one that gave birth to him. She has a mother's heart. She was the one that breastfed him. She was the one that weaned him. She was the one that uh, in those years was, has raised him. And so you can't dis disconnect from those realities. And so humanly speaking, her attachment to Jesus as her son. But let's look and trace some instances throughout the scripture where the sword is piercing Mary's heart. And so we'll see how this works. So go to Luke chapter 2 again, and you'll see here in the scripture, in verse number 48. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 48, <coughs> uh, the Bible says that um, <clears throat> there are those that are, uh, Jesus is obviously ministering, and uh, he's uh, performed, um, Oh, no, sorry, this is when he's 12 years old. And so he's 12 years old. You know the story. He's, uh, he's, uh, uh, they've, been, they've gone to Jerusalem to worship. And so now uh, the family is heading back in their pilgrimage. And uh, all of a sudden, after a day, they realize Jesus is not with them. So they go back to Jerusalem and search for him. And they find him uh, in the temple. And they find him uh, amongst the, 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 the scholars and uh, those, um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of those um, uh, of the religious establishment and he's talking with them and now listen to what happens in in uh, in luke 2 verse 48 now when they saw him when they found him obviously she's anxious they were amazed and his mother said to him son why have you done this to us look your father and i have sought you anxiously and he said to them why did you seek me did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Now think about that. Right here, a sword is piercing Mary's heart. One, because she says, as she's furiously and anxiously looking for him, she says, your father and I are looking for you. Now, Joseph is not his father, not even in the physical sense. And so... Uh, and so Jesus says, why did you seek me? He's 12 years old, mind you. Did you not know I must be about my father's business? Not about their business, but about his father, his uh, God, the father. That's what he's referring to here. And in verse 50, it says, but they did not understand the word or the statement which he spoke to them. And so again, we're getting this picture. They're not fully in tune with all that's going on. And so here's Mary, she's anxiously, frantically looking for him, finds him. She says what she says, and Jesus says to her, 
I must be about my father's business. Why are you seeking me? Now that would have cut her to the heart in, the, in, that, in that moment, but she didn't understand exactly what he meant. And so what's interesting, it says in verse 51 there, it says, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all things in her heart. You see, no doubt Mary, as she was reflecting upon these words, as she was trying to process what was going on, why did he say that? What did Jesus mean? It must be about my father's business. See, a sword had pierced. And in doing so, the Bible tells us, though she didn't understand the statement, she kept all things in her heart. She pondered them. She sought to process them and understand why and what was going on, despite the way that she felt. But we see here in this instance, a sword is striking in the heart. Now let's go to John, Gospel of John, chapter 2. There's a, uh, Actually, no, don't go there. Actually, go with me to... Um, 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 and actually, sorry, go to John chapter two. Let's go there first. John chapter two. Now, you know the story. This is where Jesus, he turns the water into wine. And uh, he's at the, 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 at the wedding in, the, uh, in Cana of Galilee, the Bible tells us. And so they've run out of wine. And so it says that in verse number three, it says, when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus, so it refers to him as the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now think about this again. Here's his mum, and she's trying to yield some degree of influence over him. And, and the whole reason why Jesus did this miracle wasn't because his mum told him to. Okay. Uh, that's a, that's a total misunderstanding. It had nothing to do with Mary it had to do with his, his own glory. But outside of that, the fact is he refers to her and addresses her as woman, not as mother. And so again, this is from what we can see, this is the first time in which he addresses her in this way. And I have no doubt that when he spoke to her in that way, it would have cut her to the heart. Woman, what have I, what concern, what does your concern have to do with me? There's a disconnection there. And he says, my hour has not yet come. Meaning, uh, again, she's, she, he's talking about the ultimate act of, of his crucifixion, the hour in which he will be crucified. But she has no understanding of what it is that he's talking about. But nevertheless, at this particular time, a sword pierced her heart. And I have no doubt when she heard him speak to her as woman, again, she was pierced. And two, she would have kept those things in her heart and sought to process what was going on. Now, let's go even further and look a little further. We have another account in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. Now, again, this is, goes a step further, really, when you consider what's going on here. But in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, you have the story where Jesus is, uh, um, uh, is ministering, he's performing miracles, and um, um, but it tells us that in the midst of what was going on, his mother and his brothers, they come to him. And so there's a crowd all around Jesus. And so his mother's trying to get access to him. But she's obviously finding it difficult because of the multitude of the people and the crowds that are there. And so let's pick it up from verse 46. What happens here? It says, while he was still talking to the multitudes, 
behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside standing, seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand towards his disciples and he said, for whoever does the will, oh, sorry, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now think about that for a moment. I mean, this, this can be quite offensive, what Jesus is saying, in, in naturally speaking. His mother and his father. These are, this is his physical mother. These are his, his brothers born from the same mother. And they are outside and they're seeking access to him. And so someone says, listen, your mum's out there. You better go and, you know, uh, and, and see her. And Jesus, again, he doesn't give her the right of privilege. He doesn't give her uh, the, the access that she is seeking. And he says to them, who, Jesus says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he said that here, he turns to his disciples and he says, here's my mother and here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of God or my father in heaven, they are my brothers, my sister and my mother. And so again, could you imagine Mary hearing those words? She would have felt in a sense rejected as such. She would have had a sense of rejection. I mean, I, I'm, you know, hey, I'm your mum. If I want to talk to you, I get access, you know. But he's saying no. You, uh, and he's making the emphasis not upon the natural and physical. He's making the emphasis upon the spiritual. And he says, no, those that hear my words, those that do the will of God, these, and he looked to his disciples and those around him. He says, here are my brothers and my sisters and my mother. And so again, what you have is you have the sword is piercing her heart. She would have had to hear those words would have hurt her, no doubt. And so the sword is continually, continuously piercing her heart. And she's having to deal with this. And, uh, and, and what she's beginning to see is that uh, and identify what we begin to see and identify here is that earthly bonds, earthly bonds were inferior to the heavenly plan and purpose of God. Now listen to that carefully. The earthly bonds that existed were inferior to the heavenly plan and purpose of God. And that is what we see. And that's why uh, the Bible even tells us uh, about Jesus's brother in another scripture where it says that his brothers did not even believe in him. I mean, could you imagine that? I mean, uh, Mary would have had to, they, there's another instance of where the sword's piercing her own heart because she's got uh, these children that she's given birth to and uh, these other, these brothers of Jesus, they don't even believe in him. And so she's, so you could just picture, uh, picture the rivalry there, the jealousy, the envy or whatever it was that existed, why they didn't believe, uh, you know, all the reasons. But as a mother, she's having to process these things. And so she, she's finding it difficult, no doubt. But she, as the scripture says, she's keeping all things in her heart. So there's no doubt that Mary, humanly speaking, is feeling the pain of what's going on. As, and she reflects upon a sword will pierce your own heart also. And she's experiencing that. 
And so what Mary had to process in the, in her earthly life is difficult and to some degree impossible for us to comprehend, especially as men, because we, we, we can see it in the scripture as we're identifying it, but we can't relate to this. And a woman, I guess, to some degree, because she understands what it is to be a female and what it is maybe to be a mother, she could, uh, again, have a closer identification. But nevertheless, we're talking about Mary, who was given birth to the Messiah, the Son of God. And so she's having to process event after event, what appears to be rejection after rejection. And so uh, in, in light of all of that, she's having to try and comprehend and understand everything that's going on because Mary now doesn't have exclusive access. She doesn't have influence. She doesn't have control. That's why Catholicism will teach you that, you know, if you want to pray, if you want to get something from Jesus, you know what the best thing to do? Go to his mother. Because once you ask his mum and she asks Jesus, he can't refuse, right? <laughs> well, that is so wrong. <laughs> One, it's just dumb. But two, um, you can see in the scriptures that Jesus' response to Mary is that she has no influence at all. And so uh, this was something that she had to deal with. This pierced her heart because she had no, no influence in these things. In actual fact, she had to take a backward step and she became a spectator to the purposes of God and she had to observe the life of her son, Jesus, uh, and all that he had to go through and that he went through. And what's even more um, uh, difficult is that we find uh, in the scriptures, not explicitly, but we know that Joseph has disappeared. Uh, uh, all commentators agree that he's at some point he has died and he's not on the scene. So even at the time of the cross, jo Joseph is not present. These brothers are not present at the cross. And so um, uh, you can see that Mary is there alone looking at her son hanging upon that cross. And so again, we can identify these aspects of the life of Mary. And I, I say all this to lay the context of what is going on in our text, because now we're at the cross. And if anything is piercing her heart, it is now, it is, is the final fulfillment of the, of a pierce, a sword piercing her own heart in the fact that she has to stand there and observe and see her son that she gave birth to hanging brutally upon a cross. She's at the foot of the cross. She's standing next to the cross, by the cross, the Bible says. No Joseph, no brothers. And this is the final time. This is the deepest blow that the sword is piercing her heart. She's having to observe the humiliation of Jesus. She's seeing the suffering, which is immense, that he's having to endure. I mean, the Bible says that his, his appearance was marred more than any other man. When he hung upon that cross, you're talking about uh, he was uh, unrecognizable. Could you imagine from a mother's perspective what, uh, what is going on in her heart? The wounds as she's observing, she just, it's, un, it's almost unbearable for her to, to, to stand there and watch. And the sword is cutting deep. The anguish of heart that she's enduring at this moment of time is piercing deep into her soul. So the question is, by this stage, does she really understand what is going on? Well, in my mind, I think she does. 
I think she understands when she reflects back, she re she understands what Jesus said when he said, I must be about my father's business. When he said to her, my hour has not yet come. She understood now his hour has come. She understood this is what it's all about. He was born to die. And she understood and she could observe the purposes of God. Not that it changed the way she was feeling, but she understood what was going on at this moment of time. And Jesus sees this as he's hanging upon the cross and, all the, and, and as he's accomplishing the redemption of humanity, as he's bearing the sin of the world upon himself, uh, he takes the time and he looks and he sees his mother. And his thoughts are directed towards her. And, as he, uh, and in doing so, the Bible says in verse 26 of our text, when Jesus saw his mother, he saw her. And the disciple whom he loved standing by, that was John. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Now listen to this. Again, at the cross, this is his mother. But when he speaks to her, he says, woman. Again, this is not a sign of disrespect. This is, this is the father heart of God seeing, a, he, seeing one of his children in distress, seeing the anguish, observing what she has had to go through and endure as part of her, her, her life. And in doing so, Jesus is moved and he says, woman, behold your son. And then he turns to his, his other disciple the Bible says whom he loved, which was John. And he says, behold your mother. And so he establishes the fact that John is to, is to take her in and to look after her from this moment on. And so again, what we have here is Jesus is remembering his earthly mother. He's remembering and in addressing her as woman, he's maintaining his still his heavenly purpose but he's not ignorant of her earthly uh, needs. And he sees her, he knows her pain, and he's moved with compassion. He's moved with deep affection for her. He sees her suffering as she sees his. And this is why he, he remembers her as he hangs upon that cross. And it's worthy to note that he commends his mother into the hand of the disciple, of the, the Bible says whom he loved, which was John. And it was John who was the one who understood the agape love of God more than any other of the disciples. It was John, when we read his gospel, we get an insight of, of, of one who understood his love, God's love in such a way. So he was well equipped to love her with God's love, with the same love that Jesus had loved her. And so here we have, uh, um, uh, John the Apostle taking her in. Now, let me say this, if I can just note for a moment. As wonderful as Mary was, as much as she is and um, was the blessed, uh, a, a blessed individual, the Bible teaches us that Mary stood at that cross as a sinner like anybody else who needed to be saved. She too needed a saviour. 
Mary herself, in spite of the fact of, of her privileged position and what God had used her for as, as that vessel, she too needed a savior just like the rest of us and all of humanity. And if I can just point you back to Luke's gospel, chapter one, in verse 46, where uh, when the angel appears to her and she realizes that she's going to, she's the chosen vessel to bring forth the Messiah. She says in her song, the song of Mary, it's called it. And uh, she says in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices or has rejoiced in God, my savior. And so Mary is acknowledging that God is her savior. She's going to give birth to the Savior, but he is her Savior. And so this is important in light of the false teachings that surround Mary and, uh, and her need for salvation, because she needed to be saved and she was saved in the same manner as all of us through faith in Jesus Christ. So what are the lessons? As we kind of bring this to a conclusion and we personalize some of these things, what are uh, the lessons that we can learn from this particular saying and the life of Mary itself. You see, like I said, the words of Jesus from the cross here reveal his tender love, his compassion, his affection. And what it is, is we're seeing the love of God and, uh, and the compassion of God for his people. Not just is it his mother, but it's symbolic also for his people because God is moved in the same way for his children, for you and I, because the Bible says he who does the will of God, we are his, his, uh, his brother, his sister and his mother. And so we share a, a relationship to Christ that God's love and concern is for all of us. And so we have the love of God being manifest at Calvary. For he who does the will of God is so related to God in the same manner. Are we not his disciples? Are we not followers of Jesus Christ? You see, and as a result of that, we receive of his love in such a special way. But I want to turn your attention for a, for a moment because in the Bible, it spoke about Mary and it said, Simeon said, a sword will pierce your own heart. He said that to Mary. And the sword pierced the heart of many in Israel. The sword pierced Mary's heart. But you see, does not and has not the sword pierced our own hearts this morning? You see, because the truth is, is it has. See, when we consider the gospel, when we consider the words of Jesus, when we consider what it means to be a disciple of Christ, you see, the gospel's like a sword. The gospel pierces our hearts. And I want to read firstly in Matthew chapter 10 and in verse 34, you have Jesus speaking. Now listen to what he says. He says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. See, I came to bring a sword and a sword will pierce. And he says these words in verse 35, for I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Think about that. You see, this is where the sword, when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, the sword pierces our own heart because it brings division 
Jesus says, I haven't come to bring peace on earth. I've come to bring a sword. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. But listen to what he says in verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. You see, Jesus is saying, and he's laying down a principle, and he says that, that we too will have the sword pierce our own hearts. If we're going to be a disciple of Christ, then you can mark it down. You're going to have to take up your cross, and you're going to have to follow Jesus, and it's going to bring division. It's going to bring rejection. Uh, friends that we thought we were close friends with when it comes to the gospel these things the gospel divides the gospel separates it's a sword it pierces and so absolutely the gospel pierces this morning but you see our love for god must be first and it must be foremost and the ties of our earthly relationship to whether it be family, whether it be friends or whatever the case may be, they are secondary. They are inferior to our love and our obedience to God, exactly as it was for Jesus Christ himself. Jesus set the example and we follow in his steps. And so a sword will pierce our own heart as well as we have to make up the, take the decision. I'm going to take up my cross. I'm going to die to myself. I have to sacrifice this to follow Jesus. And whether it be family, father, mother, brother, sister, whatever the case may be. But this is how the gospel works. You know, Jesus was speaking. There was, an in, there was a man that came up to Jesus. And he says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. But let me first just go and bury my father. And Jesus turns to him and says, let the dead bury their own dead. You come and you follow me. Now, again, if, uh, when you first hear that, that sounds offensive. Like, Jesus, are you so insensitive? Like, how could you say that? You know, well, what about love? What about our family? Well, you see, when it comes to the gospel, you must realize that there are times, and in this instance, where the, 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 Jesus says, I bring a sword, and the sword's going to pierce your own heart. You're going to have to make decisions and choices, and, uh, and you're going to have to put God first. You're going to have to take up your cross and sacrifice. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. You see, the sword this morning will always pierce. You can't avoid it, and you can't blunt that sword. You have to let it fall. You have to let it penetrate. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is a sword. It pierces the hearts of men. In the book of Acts, when Peter spoke to them and he declared to them how they had murdered and rejected the Messiah, the Bible says they were cut to the heart. They were pierced through. The Holy Spirit convicted them. And this is how the gospel works. And they said, what must we do to be saved? Stephen, when he spoke to them and he, he stood up and as he, as he preached to them, the Bible says that he said to them, you stiff-necked uh, individuals, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says when they heard those words, they were cut to the heart. They were pierced and they gnashed at him with his their teeth and ultimately they stoned him to death. You see, you can't avoid it. The gospel is a sword. The gospel pierces. 
and it pierces our hearts and it pierces the hearers, their ears and the hearts of the hearers who hear it. But you see, church, we are those that have taken up our cross. We are those that have said, yes, Lord, I will deny myself. I will take up my cross. I will follow you. And as a result of that, we stand like Mary at the foot of the cross. And we too are recipients of the love of God this morning. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter five, verse five, it says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad or poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And so we may have faced rejection of family. We've maybe felt the effects of the, of, of the piercing of the sword as it pierced our own life and our own heart. But the Bible says we too, like Mary, we are recipients of the love of God. We have the love of God so poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is in us. And so we, 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 are, we have access to the love of God in such a special way this morning. You see, God is not ignorant of our suffering. He sees the earthly pain. He sees the sufferings of life. He sees what it costs. You know, we talk and we prayed the other day and people pray during our prayer meetings for the persecuted church. Because across the world, people are making decisions to follow Jesus and they, they, their hearts are being pierced. They're losing loved ones. They're being persecuted. Some are being, and, and there are those that are being killed for the cause of Christ. And so, but yet these, amen, are those that are receiving and are, are perfected in the love of God in such a special way. They are the object of his love. We are the object of his compassion, his affection in such a special way this morning. And only like Mary, when we live near the cross. And so the question to us this morning, are you living near the cross? Do you take up your cross daily? Have you had the cross pierce and have you surrendered and submitted to the will of God and said, yes, Lord, because the gospel will pierce the word of God. The Bible says is sharper than a two edged sword. It pierces. And so when you read the Bible, you're going to find that God will, will penetrate your heart. He will pierce your heart. He will he deal with areas of our lives. And, and yet we have to be willing to respond. We have to be willing, willing to yield. Because this is how it works. But when we do so, hallelujah, we are recipients of his love. You see, Jesus said, and as I close, Jesus said to John, concerning Mary, his mother, he said, behold, mother. And when we are nearers of God this morning, we can hear the cries. We can hear his heart. We are tuned in to what he is saying. One man said the groans of Christ from the cross must reach the ears of all who minister in this age. You see, we are called to serve. We are called to preach the gospel. We are called to minister. We are called to love one another. And it's only as we are near the cross, it's only as we are close to the Lord that we can be open to hear his word, to see the needs, to see those around us and give ourselves unto him and unto the work of the Lord. And then in this instance, we can love with the love of God as John himself loved Mary with the love of God. So too, we can love with the love of the Lord and go about doing the will of God this morning. And so I pray that as we've considered this, 
and uh, we have be, uh, looked at these words. We've not only understood some things about Mary in the scripture, but we've seen Jesus. We've seen the sword, how it pierces in Mary's life, in our own lives. But more than that, amen, we must yield. We must obey. And in doing so, we must serve the Lord with all of our heart, whatever the cost. God bless you this morning. Amen.